The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we'll get a little more perspective on pitch location metrics, have some fun with WRC Plus and max exit velocity numbers, and bring new light to the discussion around the dead ball, including which metrics will still normalize properly and which may need a little more time or recalibration. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. I will, okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's it's been a fun past uh, nine days or so, but I'm doing okay. Well, uh, we are super glad to have you back, um, back in the saddle. Last week we had Daniel Port come on, and uh, he he did an awesome job. I, I was really um, really jazzed to have him on talking about pitch location stuff. But I I missed you, and I, I missed your input <laughs> on that conversation. I missed you too. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do want to start there. I'm, we're going to just call this our off the book segment to, so that it has a name. But um, I, I know that you listened to, to what Daniel had to say, and he said some very smart things. Um, it, also, one of the things I just want to shout him out for, and I, I probably I did it on Twitter, but not so much in the episode. Uh, I, I don't think enough anyway, is I really appreciate his approach to trying to, to get people to be less afraid of this stuff mm-hmm. um, and the math, because it sounds really overwhelming out of context, but when you listen to people who know what they're talking about, kind of go through it and explain it, it's it's accessible to more people than there are people who think they can access it. That was a very complicated way of saying that. But this is definitely accessible to a broader range of people than than those uh, people who actually think that they can can use this in a meaningful way. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think he does a pretty good job of pointing out that the actual work you have to do to do a lot of this stuff well is not so much knowing how to uh, make the numbers come together because your computer does it for you. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. It takes very little time to log on and suddenly have some lines and stuff. Um, and there are, I say this and it's going to sound mean, and unfortunately it kind of is <laughs> the, re- the mean reality. There are a lot of people who can like make those lines happen, but like, don't really have a good command of like why they should or shouldn't work um and that's yeah, like yeah, yeah. not a slight on them like this stuff is hard and i've done some dumb yeah, stuff yeah. myself 
but like the actual hard part of this of getting a stat that matters and that you can verify that matters and people can double check your work matters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, comes more a lot in the like conceptual, why does it work? Uh, am I not doing the things wrong? I, I've said a combination of things before, um, OLS assumptions, um, you know, like, oh God, I don't even know what that stands for anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, something least squared it's basically it's like how do you reduce the amount of like unnecessary error in your like model okay. and your work yeah 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 like, if you're doing noise reduction things, yeah yeah that's a pretty good way to put it um you know it's like you have to be able to do all of those things so like when you run a model when you take a data set and you press the do my correlation for me you've got to have like thought through is there anything stupid that i forgot to stop doing um and i think he does a really good job of explaining in his like why his stuff works why you'd believe mm, him yeah right. um and i think that's the job of someone who does this well uh he's like i've done my work well and you can double check it um so i i, was yeah, really I like the hear transparency him. too yeah for mm -hmm. sure a mm -hmm. lot of people and we did talk about that how some people kind of maybe keep it a little close to the vest for whatever their personal reasons are and, and that's mm -hmm. fine they can have that uh, but he is very transparent. And uh, and so anyway, I, I thought it would be a nice segue bringing you back into the fold here after your one week hiatus um, mm -hmm. of uh, kind of getting your thoughts on these pitch location metrics. Um, he specifically talked about stuff. Plus, I think that's one that you like to look at sometimes. Mm -hmm. Correct me. You can correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. OK. Yeah, um, I, I like to refer to it as doing the exact opposite of the stuff that I know how to do. So I really like it because it kind of like helps yeah. me cover my bases. <laughs> um, if I'm looking like solely at like outcomes of different sorts, like whiffs, which are not affected by the weird ball and hard contact stuff, which is nominally not affected by the hard ball. We'll come back to that later. Um, the exclusive what is your pitch shaped like? Where are you throwing at stuff is like pre outcome. And it's like hypothetically, should you be good? um versus like have you yeah, been right. effective and this right 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 yeah it's a great no, counterweight cool. for me so i know that there are a number of different location metrics and we don't have to talk about this for a super long time but there are just i, I kind of want your overall um take on where it's useful where it's not which particular metrics maybe you look at um, and then i i think marrying it to kind of what we're going to continue to talk about throughout the episode do those metrics in, in a pitcher's ability to put the ball where they want it become more or less important with a dead ball? Uh, or is it is it a net, a net neutral, right? Like, is it a, a zero impact kind of a thing? So that's the two-step question that I'm asking. That's the, the SAT two-step question. Um, what are the metrics? What are the, the meaningful elements of those metrics? What do you think about those metrics? And... It, with our our new landscape of this strange inconsistent ball do those things become more or less important um so i actually kind of want to start with a like 50 percent on topic other question i got from someone else it as wouldn't a means be a conversation question. between us if you didn't really actually answer my question and just used it as a, a way to pivot i mean you you're in dc I promise I'm coming you're doing back. the politician thing you i mean i, I can't blame you for that I, I'm so glad you asked that question. Now I'm going to answer the one that I wish you'd asked. This is why Perfect. we need Timmy and his friends to get their new park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, I was talking about um, strike rate with, I think it was Mikey Ahedo. Uh Nick likes to talk about strike rate a lot. I'm dubious of strike rate for some of the reasons that something like location plus is attempting to answer. Um, 
throwing balls is not good, generally speaking. I think we're like all in agreement there. Someone who can't throw a lot of strikes, bad thing. Throwing a lot of strikes isn't necessarily a good thing, though. Um, and right, I think that's one right. of the things that, like, as you get out of the basement, something like strike rate stops helping you. Um, so it doesn't correlate well. It's not something that you can use in a predictive model in a really helpful way. Uh, basically, like, you can just lose. You'll think, oh, it looks like Freddie Peralta's throwing strikes 4% of the time today. What's being being a little bit melodramatic there? Uh, and it's not last <laughs> night, thankfully. <laughs> Like one walk all game against the Reds. Mm. Freddie's back, y'all. Um, uh, I hope so. God, me too. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like that's why something like strike rate like only goes so far. Um, and to to Daniel's point, I just want to give him credit. That was a lot of what we talked about last week. Was that that kind of sweet spot of um, throwing uh, a particular pitch in the strike zone enough to make it effective, so that people don't just know it's always a ball, but not so much that it's easy to hit. And he did right. a great job talking about that. So if that's something more that you want to hear about, go back to, to uh, episode 57. And uh, and Daniel talks a lot about that. Right. Yeah. So I think that that sort of conversation and that sort of line of thinking is one of the things that pushes me to want something that does just a little bit more. How often can you throw it in the good place is a good question. Strike yeah. rate is not the way you answer that best necessarily. So it's people who can throw it in the parts of the zone that are good uh, is basically your goal. Not everything that's in the zone is bad. Not everything that's in the zone is good. If you like look at the little different, like how far away from the middle of the plate you've thrown at metrics, uh, you know, like basically the uh, do you win as the pitcher kind of like, like run value sort of things like a uh, max out for the pitcher and right on the edge of the zone. Duh. No, no, there are some parts of it aren't, that are less good. And I think that's one of the best things about things like, I'm just using location plus as a stand-in because it's not an acronym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like you don't want to throw it like low and inside for the most part. But other than that, like if you're hitting the well, edges of the zone, you're doing a good thing. And this lines up with conventional thinking too. This is where that that kind of quanti thing um, matches with conventional wisdom in that if you have a, a batter and a one one two count, a strike may not be the best thing to throw right there. You might right, get a swinging right. strike and that's a good thing. But putting the ball in a hittable place when you have the batter one and two is not necessarily a, a good approach. And right. over the course of a season, it's probably going to lead to less strikeouts and more balls in play. And of those balls in play, more hits where there didn't need to be hits because you gave them something they could put the bat on. So, I mean, that's that's like traditional baseball one on one type stuff. And it's backed up by looking at this mathematical approach to why that works. I think this is a really good time to note that um, when we say things like analytics, we just mean trying to win with math. And there are a lot of people yeah. who have been winning with very back of the napkin math for hundreds of years, hundreds, right. over a hundred years at this point. Listen, ERA and av batting average are still math. Right. <laughs> we might have found some better ways of doing better math. Um, but all the, the analytics are trying to do is explain what's actually happening and what's actually happening is, is not all necessarily that different from what's been happening. I think obviously the argument is that the math might be telling, uh, telling hitters to take different approaches, which is mm -hmm. impacting the way the game is played. But right. That it's not like the math is changing the outcome. It's the players choices that are changing the outcomes. So anyway, right, right. we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Right. And I, I think that all of this is also a great thing to talk about early in the season. Well, like everything is a mess and uh, choices and some like 
huge sample, relatively speaking, data like the per pitch stuff that like location based data can look at is most of what you want to look at at this point, other than just like whiffs. Uh, so like it's a good time to be getting familiar with the line of thinking behind this stuff. And uh, uh, kudos to you for finding the exact right person to talk to at the right time last week. Uh, <laughs> sorry about me being um, sick with the novel coronavirus and keep and not being like able to sound good on a podcast. But uh, uh, yeah, actually, no, I, I, I won't. I can't take credit for that. Daniel was kind enough to reach out to me uh, when I, I put a message in our discord and, and he was kind enough to volunteer. So I don't get any credit for that. That was just really serendipitous. Uh, if if we needed somebody to cover that, he was able to kind of have that conversation because you're right. I think it it lines up with conversations we've had in the past about, well, what information at this stage of a season is useful? Mm -hmm. And then a month later, what becomes meaningful and what can I trust, you know, three weeks in, six weeks in two months in and and that's something i think we'll circle back to a little bit too yeah. um let's i really do well, want to answer you. the other half of your question that's what i was going to say i want to push you <laughs> to that other half of the question before we move on yeah um so if we're talking about a new run environment where um hitting the ball is less dangerous than walks are it's basically like the thought at this point um you actually do land in a situation where the guys who are not throwing strikes as their like problem are going to suffer a little bit more. So like you do want the guys who are going after hitters. You also just like hope that people like Freddie Peralta are more willing to go after hitters because they're less afraid. So the guys who have really good command, um, like and haven't been walking people relatively speaking are going to benefit more. Um, but like, you know, like last night Reed Detmer's, through a no hitter where he struck out two people right walked and there was one guy there like, was a tweet about some of the the uh the exit velocity of of some some of the the batted ball events and they were like over a hundred so the guys were hitting the ball hard they just resulted in ground outs and fly outs and and again that's that's more of the it's not that the skill of the hitter has changed. It's that the way the ball is interacting with the physical environment has with the humidor and, and all of that. And again, I know we keep saying we're going to get to that later. We, we will. Um, yeah, I, no, I, I also wonder nine hard hit balls last night. Yeah. That is a lot to not. Yeah. Be hits. Like it doesn't feel like that's a sustainable way to throw another no hitter, right? Like that's not the blueprint. Right. Uh, um, I'm not it, buying high on uh, Reed Detmers by any means. And not to take away from his accomplishment, like right, way right. to go read, like that's awesome. Um, and it doesn't feel like if if that was the case last year, he probably wouldn't have thrown a no hitter with the different ball. So, uh, right, like you would think that that <laughs> yeah yeah that the outcomes of those batted ball events, which the outcome the hitter has no uh, control over, they have control over how hard they've hit it and where they've made contact and all of that. But if they've done everything exactly the same as they would have last year with a completely different outcome, there, there's just there's nothing they can do about that. I also wonder now as you're talking, and this is me thinking like like sharing my thing, making my thinking visible uh, as we are having this conversation. I was looking at Jesse Winker, who is an on-base machine, and his on-base percentage is down. I wonder if, this is really uh, honestly a live wondering, I wonder if players like that who have elite, on base skills, Bryce Harper walks a ton, right? Mm -hmm. If those numbers are going to be down because pitchers are going to be more confident throwing balls in the zone, because as you said, 
the the batted ball event is maybe less scary than the walk. Yeah, I think that there might be some people who make some of those adjustments. I will say that people like Winker um, are just really good at identifying the zone and not swinging in a lot of cases. So like, yeah, they should face some more balls in the zone. That is probably something we predict. Uh, oddly, Winker's walker is up this year. Because <laughs> like those people should also themselves react and be less willing to swing because swinging is getting less good of outcomes, right? So but if those like, pitches are in the zone anyway, then then not swinging doesn't help them. Yeah, but like you have to really adjust one way or another. And I think I talk about this a lot in terms of like the MLB wants to incentivize people to be less like Joey Gallo sort of mindset. Well, it's like it incentivizes pitchers to turn people into Joey Gallo. And here we have it like swinging the other way, way arguably or maybe not. I don't know. It's hard to kind of wrap my head around that, but I find that like the we're going to mess with things to try to mess change the incentives of who you want to be. Uh, they don't tend to change the incentives as much as you'd want because then just the other group of people adapt as well. Both pitchers right, and right, hitters right, right. are going to change in these situations. So I think that typically if you're good at walking, you're going to continue to walk probably because you're going to try to do it now. Yeah. Okay. So I see what you're saying. So now you're going to make a greater effort to lay off those pitches you might have chased. So the, the, I still think though, if you're, if you're seeing a greater number of balls being pitched in the strike zone, because they're less afraid of what you're going to do with that pitch, your walk numbers are going to have to come down because you're going to have to swing at more pitches because you can watch them go, but they're going to be called, you know, I, I don't know. It's interesting. We'll have to see it play out. Um, yeah. Um, do you want to know a really bizarre thing about this? You brought up always. Swinker. his zone swing rate is up. His swing rate overall is up and his walk rates up. It's it's weird. I have no his walk rates up. Yeah, his walk rates up from last year at ten uh, percent. This year to fourteen percent. That so that's bizarre because his on base percentage is down. Yeah, well, his on base percentage is down because his batting average is batting down. average is terrible. Yeah. yeah, his and I think this is exactly how we want to talk about expected stats because we got to talk about them at some point. Everyone's talking about them. You know, his xba is three oh eight. His actual batting average is two oh two. Like. Yeah. That expected batting average is calibrated to last year's ball still. So if yeah. he was doing yeah. what he was doing to last year's ball, he'd be doing pretty well given how many lines drives he's hit. Over 100 humble, points in batting average is insane. That's that's an insane yeah. difference. So his XOBP, by the way, they don't show this on player pages on Savant, but you actually can go find it in leaderboards elsewhere. Uh, it should be, uh, should probably be up. Uh, yeah, because his, well, sure. uh, yeah, so his, XB, his XOBP should be up uh, by probably 40 points. Yeah, no, year. that makes sense. I mean, so it, that oh that not that information. That's why you go dig. That totally blows my theory out of the water about walk rates being down. But it's it's and I it's don't know. Player, it's a, but it's a well, sure, right? It's, <laughs> but but still, um, it's it just seems very hard to get a handle on understanding the why of a lot of this because mm -hmm. it's all just there's so many more variables introduced to the equation that to try and understand what's going on and and even be descriptive about it forget predictive even being descriptive about what we're seeing so far i think is is a challenge yeah um let's move into our numbers of the week segment um i want to try and do this it'll be a little fun i'm going to have you try and guess again and uh, i've got a bonus number just to share um because i think it's a good segue into what we're going to be talking about but as it stands right now there are five guys uh with a wrc plus five uh over 190 <laughs> two of them 
two of them are over 200. Okay. Which are insane numbers. We know that those are insane numbers. Can you name three of the five WRC plus leaders who have, uh, again, it's over 190. And bonus if you can nail the the top two. Okay. So um, I have a theory here. I'm going to see how this goes. Um, I'm going to start with Babbitt King Taylor Ward. Taylor Ward. Yeah, you're 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 you've you've gotten too cute. Ah, uh, okay. Well, I'm actually going to go with them with Mike Trout because that's the that's the free space, right? Yep, free space. He's leading okay. right now with a 223 WRC <laughs> sorry, C plus. Yeah, I mean, it's just a fun number that means nothing. But he's had a, cup, uh, a really hot past couple days, which would probably help. Yeah, him sure. Bit. And 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 in a smallish still sample size, it's going to have a huge impact. But 223, which, I mean, that's just a, a crazy number. But he's number one. Okay. Um, I know that Aaron Judge has 10 home runs, so I'm going to say Aaron Judge. He comes in at number seven. He's at 186, which is still a lovely number. But <laughs> yeah. Outside. Yeah. So you can't you can't miss another another one. Okay. Uh, so I have to guess another player who is good and performing well. Let's go with Xander Bogarts. No. Okay. No, I'm trying to find him. Xander Bogarts is number 20. He's at 157. Okay. Uh, so I'll go down. Uh, I'll start with number five is Nolan Arenado. Uh, mm, he is okay. at WRC plus right now is one ninety three. I didn't realize he was he was playing as well as he is. It's it's remarkable. Good for yeah. him. Uh, number yeah. four, Jose Ramirez. He's yeah. at yeah. uh, one ninety nine. <laughs> number three is JP Crawford. JP Crawford one ninety nine. So yeah. He, uh, you heard Mariners it here first. He's just there. as yeah, just as good as Jose Ramirez. Go, uh, go tell everybody. And <laughs> um, <laughs> number two is Manny Machado, two eleven, two eleven WRC plus, and then uh, Mike Trout at number one, two twenty three. And I have a, a couple uh, bonus numbers here for us to be able to talk about Max EV leaders. Now I know that right now exit velocity is something that people are talking about a lot, and we've talked about it in the past that that the exit velocities are actually not being um, suppressed by this ball. It's what's mm-hmm. happening to the ball after it's been hit. So this isn't necessarily uh, like, a ooh, we, we found that uh, this is evidence of a, of a dead ball. We already know that the ball is dead. We, we can see a lot of the results that prove and show that. This is just kind of, I thought it would be kind of fun. Um, can you guess who the the leader is who has the 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 hardest hit ball so far this year at 119.9 miles per hour? I know that Otani had one that he absolutely cranked. I don't think it's him though. Not number 1, no. No, and I feel like Stanton's the free space here, but I feel like it's again not Stanton. It is though. Oh, this okay. time it is. Uh-huh. So it's it is Stanton. I really put this in here because Otani was in second place at 119.1 and I know how much you love him and I wanted to Give you an opportunity to talk about how much you love Shohei Otani. I think there's someone else who's topped 118. It's kind of like the weird one. This is one of those stats, by the way. It's like a like you can't fake it, and so only a couple of people who have ever done it. So like Judge, Gary Sanchez, and Stanton had like something like 90 percent of all of like the 118 plus batted balls until Otani cranked a few, and then there's yep. like one or two other guys who are anywhere close to that like peak. So. If you go down to let's say the number fifteen right now is one thirteen point nine, so the fifteenth hardest hit ball. Wait, uh, so that's the fifteenth hardest max EV. I max imagine. EV, right, yeah. right, 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 so, right, right. Like right. there, yeah, there are fair. people who might be higher up that leaderboard who have a couple 
that are better than the 13th best person has ever done. And that's like what I'm talking about. Like if you look at like the 50 hardest hit baddest ball. Oh like yeah. Year, it's, it's all like the same Stanton, people. Stanton, 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 Stanton. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it actually right right now, the ranking goes Stanton, Otani, uh, Vlad, Jorge Soler, and then Avisel Garcia are up there. Jorge mm. Soler's is 117.6. Uh, Avisel Garcia, 116.8. Also at 116.8, Matt Olson. Wilson Contreras has one at 116.2. Yada, yeah. yada, yada. It goes on from there. I um, think that's but, that's a fun one to bring up because it's like we are like a couple hours into the season and already all of the usual suspects are at the very top doing what we know them to do. It's quite fun. Yeah, sh- strong guys hit the ball hard. <laughs> More than a lot of... Yeah, right. (laughs) It's not a giant revelation, but it's fun to play with. Now, what I will say, though, is I think like Stanton's last year, Max was like 122. So, I mean, that's he's got plenty of time to do that. We're not that far off, which which kind of underscores the point that we've made in the past, mostly you, that this the dead ball is not impacting how hard uh, the batters are able to hit it, which is the thing Mm -hmm. they can control. What is it's impacting is what the results are after that ball has flown through the air after mm-hmm. being hit at roughly equivalent exit velocities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where we're going to kind of go with the rest of the episode. But before we get into all of that good stuff, we are going to take a very small break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, and we are back. So, Alexander, let's talk about results-oriented exit velocity hard hit stuff. We, I think it's important that we talk about what the players can control, what they can't control, what the data shows. Um, it, there's this fun uh, uh, it's a Twitter account, right? It's called uh, Would It Dong, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it shows you like if somebody hits a home run or doesn't like, would that have when it was close? Would that have been out in, in different stadiums and, mm-hmm. and all of that, which is fun. And we could talk about like, okay, with the dead ball, um, somebody hits it and it was out of Fenway, but it, it would have only been out of, you know, 10 of the, the stadiums in the league, mm-hmm. but that's still comparing like park to park, right? Because they all have the dead ball, which does beg the question. We can circle back to this. I'm going to front load this for you and then uh, like wind you up and then let you go like the, the clapping monkey <laughs> toy. Um, does beg the question, are there parks that are maybe more susceptible to what's happening with this dead ball? Because maybe their fences are right in that range where uh, last year the 15 feet was out and this year the 15 feet is not. And, and are there parks that maybe are, is that a thing or am I just making that up? Um, and then also 
really talking about again the the elements that players can control and can't control what is a skill what is outcome based and and what can we do with this what stats do we still have enough of a sample size to be able to trust and what stats do we maybe this year need a larger sample size to talk about there you go i have set you up i have put you okay. on the stage i have wound you up and now it is time for you to do your thing yeah um, actually so were you part of the dumb discourse about like the Yankees and Rangers in the little league ballpark from the other day? I was not. No. Okay. Good for you. It was kind of stupid <laughs> and like sort of like it's going to blow over in four hours. Like it, it did honestly. Yeah. So um, what a dong had like a very bright moment in the, the spotlight for a second there uh, because I think Aaron, no, 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 Chris Woodward, the manager of the Rangers, like was like criticizing that he, this team lost on a little league home run, which like was like 360 feet gone to the corner, which is like out in most parks. But he was like criticizing the Yankees short porch for being a little league park. And that is, I think, a really good kind of like place to start on a lot of this. Um, Anthony Rizzo is uh, playing really well right now. He's hit a lot of home runs and a lot of them have been to that short porch, essentially. Not all of them, but a good number and i think that's a good sort of like you can visualize it you can see it sort of way to look at like what the dead ball can't take away uh there are a lot of home runs that were like 50 feet gone to the short porch that are now 30 feet gone um right 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 right. yeah those those balls he's hit there would have been just longer home runs last year it's not like they're if, if it gets out this year it would have gotten out last year Right. Uh, but that short, I mean, the, everybody, everybody knows about that short porch. At right, right, Stadium. right. It's been there forever. Right. Um, it's not new. And both teams played the game in the same stadium. So right, anyway, right. I don't know. That's it's, it's a, it's a bunch of stupid. Yeah. But I think it's a nice sort of like mental image you can conjure. Whereas uh, same um, division, the uh, the new just absolute dumb carve out in left field at uh, you know, Camden Yards has given up just one home run all year. Um, mm-hmm. Ryan Mountcastle cleared it we can change to go maybe it's up to two that i just didn't know it but i know like it took a long time for the first home run to go over that wall well they and, made it harder at the same time that the that <laughs> major league baseball made the ball fly less far in right, two different right, ways right. so yeah and you can think then like we're not gonna lose like, okay like let, let's take that two step apart right if the ball hadn't been like further dead and we're playing with like a like a hypothetical normal ball. I don't think there was ever a normal ball, but like a hypothetical yeah. normal one. Sure. Somewhere in, in between 2019 and now, I guess there's probably some minutes where that happened. Um, we still would not have that many home runs to lose because it was already impossible, right? So it's the sort of places that I think are kind of in the the medium long ground, I think are the places that you're going to see the biggest effects from. Um, you know, not cheating, but also like, not cheating for the pitcher either are going to be a lot of the places where just like the effect, the effects have been felt. I think the most would be my inclination. Um, and what that brings me to is a series of hypothetical home runs that happened. Uh, our good friend Asher Drotel, uh tweeted a bunch of them and he and I were like just ready to go down to the courthouse and get some people arrested over a couple of these <laughs> tweets. Uh, basically Dodgers are playing the pirates uh, and yeah, there were some bad things that happened in PNC Park. Um, I want to talk about why I'm I'm a little bit weirded out by this and also like just give a little bit of, hey, some weird things did happen here that maybe changed things. So there were three different batted balls that were all hit about 105 miles an hour with roughly the same launch angle. 
So the first one was hit uh, 105.9 at 23 degrees. It was not out. Uh, this is a Justin Turner uh, flyout. Um, and then later on in the game, Cabrian Hayes hits a double uh, that goes 104.4, 22 degrees. Now, the difference is that Cabrian Hayes hit his ball 50 feet farther with essentially a mile an hour less off the bat. And then later on, uh, Michael Perez uh, took Julio Arias deep at 104 and 24 degrees. That went 413 feet. So the one that was hit hardest went 50 feet fewer than the other two. Um, This is the sort of thing where like PNC is a little bit deep, but like not stupid, stupid deep. And it is a sort of park where you'd expect it to lose a good number of home runs. One of those three went out. I want to give like just a small amount of like, hey, be careful with your data uh, mm. here. So Justin Turner, if you if you can imagine like this is like the top of a clock, right? the 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 home run itself was hit to essentially like eleven thirty, like almost straightaway center. Um, the The double went to about like eleven o'clock. Uh, Turner's like basically curved its way almost to the foul pole but not quite so you know you got about like a good 10 degrees there so it's like we're talking what is that like trying to make sure i get my hours correct here based off of everything and <laughs> so like we're talking that's like at 10 45 or so on the clock right maybe so you can see it's like it's like 10 degrees away from the 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 wall um sure as the ball curves in the air some yeah. of its in-air distance, like, yeah, it's straight away 350 feet from the plate to where the ball flew. But because it curves in the air, it takes off something like the actual distance. And this is something right. that's like, it's really maddening when you just look at the raw distances, but it like makes a little bit of sense. Balls do lose more in the air when they spin. And so that's actually why the um, down the line distances are less at parks. And yeah, so like that does make sense. Now, some people anybody can, with a massive hook slice on the golf course can can attest to what that is what that really spin does comp. to your distance. Yep, it is a really good comp. Um, so I just want to kind of bring that up as like a, you can visualize a couple of the different problems we're having and kind of how this is working. I think PNC is a good example of it's it's a little bit deep. It does suppress home runs a little bit, but like it's going to lose. I think a lot of the formerly cheap home runs. Um, you're also seeing another problem that we're seeing that I think we have to bring up, which is that there's probably on top of that some ball inconsistency, park to park, game to game, like even within the same park in the same game, we're seeing some stuff that's like a little bit fishy. Um, so beyond just the ball being dead, we're seeing a lot of inconsistency in terms of how much the ball's flying. The the Mets hitting coach, whose name is going to escape me, and I'm fine with that, was saying some maybe a little bit of tinfoil things about nationally televised games having actually juiced balls and everyone not because mm, I did see ones. that. Yeah, you look at the, the or like the Apple TV. It's, it's also stupid. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't actually match up. They gave up some some mash baseballs in those games. But the inconsistency is something you want to worry, worry about. Um, if you are, as we all ought to be at this point, to be clear, uh, a fan of uh, Dr. Meredith Wills at Baseball Astrophysics, she said that like she wants some more data. She wants a lot more baseballs because she's worried that uh, this is like the most inconsistent ball uh, that we've ever had. So that's a big part of this as well. 
this is all basically throwing this huge issue in any of our data collection, any of our model-ish stuff that I like to do. At, you know, I've been trying to do like an ERA estimator based off of like hard contact rate. And suddenly, if hitting the ball hard doesn't do the same thing, on top of it doing less, right. you're just in a disaster of a place in terms of trying to predict outcomes. So somebody um, actually like tweeted out a picture. It might have been her too uh, of a baseball. It was like an authenticated baseball. And you could see that like, even the the way that the ball was formed, it wasn't it wasn't evenly uh, stitched or or like right. the cover hadn't been stretched properly. It was very bizarre. Yeah, it's I, and we talked about that a couple a little bit last or two weeks ago when we we're talking about like the way the humidors are working seems like it's affecting like the actual composition of the ball itself. It's like it seems like actual human incompetence not knowing how like water affects a a thing made of like cork and like yarn like it's really yeah, right right to like not have thought about this at all and i i think we have to kind of just like call it what it is but these things are all lining up to give us this like situation where you're checking these things out it's really easy to get mad because it seems like there's a consistency there's a lot of kind of medium cheap home runs that are just now like easy flyouts people are like actively thinking it's gone and it's just not but also there are some instances where they're still kind of flying out a little cheap uh, there's an interesting new tool actually from Savant, if we're like trying to just make sure we cover new ground from the past two weeks, we have a lot of new stuff even on this on this front. Right, um, right, right. Savant put out this new tool that basically just shows like uh, drag data over the past couple of years, um, and you can look uh, day by day like the average drag on four seam fastballs, and it looks like it's really inconsistent, but also edging up. So we can see, yeah, it looks like there's more drag than there was in 2019 when there's just like none. It was like playing in a physics class where they assume no bait, no drag on the ball. But like, yeah, we have like what looks like 10% more than we did uh, in a couple of years, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, but it's also like really inconsistent day by day, which is kind of feeling some of the speculation. I'm a little bit weirded out that we have all of this data showing that hard hit balls and aren't flying as far. And there's more drag in the ball. And people like Tom Tango had been kind of making fun of people who are like saying those things. It's kind of oddly like almost bill james-esque kind of like denial of reality with data yeah. that i'm a little bit audited out by because he's like said some very smart things in past years and obviously been an architect of a lot of really important stuff and also just kind of been like head in sand about reality with regard to what his tools are saying and you know i'm a long time complainer about savant because i think that their sliders are kind of dumb on purpose but this is like a separate thing so i just want to say there's like a huge culmination of ball inconsistent ball flying less we have more data about it and the people who like are smart about it are saying some weird things. So we're living in a really strange reality that makes it really annoying for someone like me who wants to use some of these like early actionable tools like barrels, like hard contact and things like that to figure out who's been good and who should continue to be good. Um, and that's basically meant that like, if I'm looking at someone who's been hitting the ball harder, their results might be worse. And that's maddening. So I, you wound me up a little bit there. And that's kind of a lot of the what we've gathered in the past two weeks info dump about like our, where we're sitting. I think where that lands us, though, is if we look back to like a month or so ago and we said, hey, when we get to about 100 or so plate appearances, we should start to have some belief in the consistency of, you know, like pitchers, strikeout rates and hard contact rates, batters, barrel right, rates and stuff right. like that. And we should be sitting on that cusp, and yet it feels like just everything's still a little bit of a mess. And I think it's a good time to check in about what we actually should trust and what we might be trusting a little bit later than usual this year because everything has been nonsense. <laughs> so Yeah, I think that's really, really important because 
as I was kind of alluding to, um, there are there are different metrics that we've talked about before that normalize at different stages in terms of sample size. Um, but if you're looking at something like an exit velocity number, I, I know we don't really use average exit velocity all that much. Um, but if you're if you're looking at that number, um, it, that's one you probably can trust is is going to normalize the way it it would in any other year because that that hasn't seemed to be affected. The the ability of the batter to hit the ball hard off the bat does not seem to be impacted by the humidor <laughs> and the new ball. But if you're looking at something like the average distance traveled or you're looking at something even maybe like barrels, right? I, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if the launch angle is is uh, is distance. Distance doesn't have anything to do with barrels, right? No, you it don't doesn't. Care how it's far exclusively it goes. off the bat angle and velo. So barrels um, hypothetically should be on a shouldn't should be OK, right? Because that's still another thing that's within the control of the player. But there are definitely outcome based numbers that you're going to need to to reevaluate and as we have alluded to especially those expected stats that are just not it's not their fault but they're miscalibrated to what is is actually happening uh with baseballs so uh, i think there's there's a lot to dig into there and a lot of layers of the onion to peel back so where would you like to start I actually want to make sure I can kind of like iron out the last caveats on those expected stats and kind of like when in the future we should and shouldn't believe in them and why they've just been a mess for a past couple of years without us like really having our finger on the pulse. So like because they take until like roughly the all-star break and to, to like actually fix them and use like current year data, like when we hit the all-star break, everyone's expected stats are going to be really useful for kind of like telling us how well they should have performed up to that point. Until then... It's how well they should have performed in last year's environment, which I think yeah. if you're answering that question is really interesting. Um, if you're as long as you know, that's the question you're answering and you're not thinking you're answering a different question. Exactly. I'm kind of of the they're going to push things back to normal sort of point of view. And so as a result, if you're like playing in a dynasty league and you want to know, should I be buying Jesse Winker? Yeah, he's hitting the ball like, a little bit less hard on average, but he's making so much contact and. Uh, you know, putting the ball in play off him when he's walking, you know, walking when he's not like things look good for him long term. Yeah. He looks bad this year. You can use some of those expected stats to kind of like fuel some like long term buy lows if you're expecting the reality to come back. Um, well, it if, would and not if, be yeah, that hard if, for them to mess with the humidors to make things come back to normal. Sure. But also to gauge like, is Jesse Winker broken? Right. Right. Like, right stats right. are going to tell you, no, he's doing everything the same way he did last year. The environment is just completely different. He also obviously moved teams and has a different park factor and all oh, yeah. of those things. He but left a little league park. Right, right, right. So there's there's a lot more variables in his particular situation. But if you're looking at those X stats to say what the, the player should be doing this year, you're you're getting the wrong story. But if you are looking to see if a, a player has lost something in their skill set, that actually is pretty useful, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the things, though, is because everything's been so inconsistent, essentially since StatCast existed, there's, like, barely been a season for which, like, last year's data has been really instructive about this year's results. Mm. Every year has been a little bit different. And, like, take a deep breath and think about how stupid that is. Like, if the grip that you got on the basketball in the NBA changed slightly every single year, like... Like, you know, we had a little bit of that this earlier this year in basketball. They changed balls. Some people, like, 
lost their shot for a minute and they found it, it came back to normal uh I think for the most part um but like imagine if that happened every year if like in football every year like the football like had a little bit more or less air in it so it was a little bit slight better or like worse to try to throw the ball far down the field like well and everyone now, would and- lose their mind yeah, now introduced to like the basketball, uh, you know, the the rim is at 10 foot one inch in some places and nine feet and and 10 inches in others. Right. <laughs> or the the boundary of the uh, of the yeah. the court is a little bit bigger, like there's in soccer, more space right? around the three point yeah, line. Or the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Three, yeah, the, the three point line is, is slightly closer or further away. Like those are all things that are real in baseball that are also contributing to why it's so hard to make straight line comparisons and performances, even yeah. with the same player, because they're playing in all these different places where, where there's differences and then the humidor and then the weird ball and then, and then, and then, right. Yeah. So I should note that as a result, like I'm interested in players expected stats. I am not using them for any sort of actual anything right now one of the things that i will potentially do a little bit of is and this is going to sound old school but it's actually not is i'll be pulling sometime soon um players like batted average versus maybe expected batting average actually on uh on hard hit balls just to see who's been the most unlucky in terms of field outs for some situations like line drives in particular like those ones aren't typically home runs anyway they typically fall so we might be able to do like hard hit line drives figure out how often people are getting out on those because that's just like you hit a defender into the outfield oops situations that really there isn't a whole lot of control over uh last year i pulled out for tommy fam he looked like he'd be fine he ended up being fine he's been great this year um but like that's not that's basically it like i'm not going to be using x slug at all this year because that's almost all predicting how many home runs you're going to hit and like it's borked um like it's, we should also probably if you use barrels as like a how many home runs you should have hit comp like it's always a little bit messy because of parks and stuff like that but like you got to tone that down like fewer barrels are going to be home runs everywhere so those are like the sort of like we design these tools for a purpose they're not meeting their purpose regularly but and i think this is where we can be smart if you're using things like barrels, which are roughly reliable for hitters at this point, don't care about them for pitchers. Please don't care about them for pitchers basically ever. Um, within a season, they don't become reliable um, enough to act on. Like it yeah. takes almost the full season. Uh, but like hard contact for pitchers is going to creep up soon. We're not quite there. Walk rate for pitchers, we're not even at, by the way, for reliability. Uh, but for batters, we can start to really believe that people's approach changes are for real, for real. And that people's like, hitting the ball harder more often stuff is for real as well. So if you want to be able to kind of check in on people who have gained some power and look a lot better, those are the sorts of things where we can start to care. Um, and that's a fun thing because there are some names at top a lot of these leaderboards that are really exciting. And there's some guys at the bottom of the leaderboards that are absolutely frightening. <laughs> and yeah. it's worth taking a look at some people who are unexpected names and kind of like the top. 10% and the bottom 10% as some of these like hard contact leaderboards. Um, I, people always ask me like where you find like hard contact rate other than just like going on PL player pages and like seeing where you find it. It's really easy to pull it yourself. And I feel like I should just basically give like the recipe for that out loud because it's really, again, I've done it a couple of times because it's so easy. And I just want to make sure people can kind of like, if you want to take 13 seconds or so to do this on your own, know how to do it. If you go to the savant search, it looks scary. Promise it's not that hard. You know, you, Go to batter, you go to flags, you hit hard hit, 
you go to change total pitch parameters and you click plate appearances. That basically just changes the fraction. So the top half is how many hard hit balls you have. The bottom half is plate appearances. So great. We have hard contact rate. I like to set a minimum of 50 pitches for a day and let's sort pitch percent descending. Boom. You have yourself a leaderboard. Um, I pull this all the time. There's some really interesting names that we want to make sure we can take a look at uh, both in the top half and the bottom half. Uh, so at this point, there are should be about 300, yep, 306 people who have hit 50 PAs. So top 30 or so. I want to call out a couple names that I think are really interesting that you would not expect are just crushing the ball so far this year. Um, in the top 10, uh, the number one name I want to call out is Josh Naylor. Uh, Josh Naylor yeah. had like a breakout game the other day. Air quotes, breakout game the other day. We yeah. like those two home runs. He's been doing great things all year. He's kind of got that puts the ball in play a ton. And also hits a hard combination, which is hard to find. And he's a guy that I just want to call out. Like, by this metric, you should be buying in everywhere you possibly can. Because if you're hitting the ball hard 40% of the time, yeah, you're doing magical things. Um, and <laughs> that's just absolutely insane. Uh, some other guys in the top five, Andrew Vaughn is third. <laughs> Jock Peterson is fourth. Like, these guys are playing really well. And this stuff's generally pretty consistent. Whatever they're doing is working. And you should buy in. Uh, Glaber Torres is 13th at 39.4%. I don't know what's gotten them. He's always been a guy who barely hits the ball hard and got really lucky in 2019 that the ball was fake. He's doing some great things. Um, Lourdes Guerrero Jr. is also sitting in the top 10. And uh, Bo Bichette, by the way, not struggling at all. Uh, Alec Bohm, Christian Yelich, uh, those are some guys that are sit- who are just doing really good things so far this year. So, um, there's a lot of like you can use this. There are some problems with it in terms of like loft. If you guys just if you do the Yandy Diaz thing and you hit the ball into the ground really hard, it doesn't help you out that much. But this is a good, nice, know its limits tool to say that some of these guys have been playing really well. And don't look at the X stats. Don't look at the number of home runs. Though for Josh Naylor, it is creeping up. He's playing really well. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I want to stop you there for one second and, and yeah. specifically talk about Naylor. I think that that number, you said it was 40%, right? right. Is, uh, yeah, 403 simultaneously good news and not sustainable right oh yeah i'm not gonna think it's gonna stay there um right but it's it's a sign that it's a skill or an approach change that it's something that's repeatable maybe not to that extent i I would say for him and let me kind of dive in on why in particular i really believe in josh naley right now as kind of like a here's how we can put all our stuff together He's been a long-term makes a lot of contact guy. Uh, he swings a little bit too much, but that also just means he hits the ball really often. Uh, right. So yeah. he's not like walking a whole lot. He's got like a 4% walk rate. Um, but yeah, he's been a guy who like consistently makes a ton of contact in the zone. We're talking like a 90% zone contact rate, elite stuff. Um, he swings outside the zone too much, but he also makes mm-hmm. contact outside the zone. For him, the question has been, is the power going to continue to come along? Is going to find a defensive home? Um, when he got traded to uh, Cleveland from San Diego, like he was a guy that was like worth being interested in. And the power has come along. He had a horrific injury last year uh, that kind of like hurt him, but he's like healthy and he's got a full-time spot at first base. He's got a pretty good lineup spot. He's batting fifth. That's like the rack up some RBI spot. He's exactly where you'd want someone who doesn't walk to be in your lineup. Yeah. Just yeah. Drive right. all the guys in. And um, like everything about this looks like it's real. He had something like a 32% hard to contact rate last year. Uh, and just like he's healthier now. I would not be shocked if he's the sort of guy who continues to be within the top 
20% in hard contact rate going forward. Mm-hmm. And like a smart team is going to use a guy like him who doesn't walk a whole lot to just rack up RBI and he'd be like a really good fantasy piece in addition to be like a good a good-ish real life piece. It's like his exact yeah, profile yeah. is the sort of thing that will help your team most. Um so I regret that I would say that I only roster him in one league. Uh, but he's a guy that I was super high on uh, last year. And I just feel like I was yeah. a year early. Um, Mike Curlin and I have been making jokes about that online quite a bit. Uh, we're just <laughs> wrong last year and we're okay with it. So uh, I want to say because he's not striking out a lot, because he's not walking a lot, he's going to have a lot of more opportunities than other people also to hit the ball. So we should be believing in his hard contact rate even sooner because there's just more batted ball events. For yeah, he's got well. his sample size is larger. I, yeah. I, I really just wanted the clarification on because uh, you said like it's 40 percent and, and you can believe like I, I just wanted to make sure that we were saying like it's not going to stay there, but to to be able to have it there means that you can believe he's going to continue to hit the ball hard. Right. I think a good a good way to look at when we talk about reliability is like the second you cross some threshold for like I bring up 150 PAs, for example, for hard contact rate for pitchers. And it's also the same thing for about walk rate. Right. At 150 PAs, we can believe that your walk rate is going to be closer to whatever you have right now than it will be to league average. It takes a long time for these things to like actually stabilize. And even then, it just kind of gets a little bit less noisy. Um, If league average hard contact rate is 27 percent and he's at 40 you can believe it's going to be closer to 40 than 27 is kind of like what we'd say right now. Even that might be a stretch, but like I would healthily assume that rest of season he'll be above 30%. Uh, That's my guess at least. Yeah. So if he's, he's out there, uh, go get him. Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk about people on the bottom part of this list? Because I think that's an important piece too. Um, I know that there are definitely some guys that I was excited to get in my drafts that have been a lot of dead weight on, on some of my rosters. And I'm curious as to whether or not that is something that sh- is just kind of bad luck or whether their hard contact rate is down because it shouldn't be right. Hard, hard contact again is not one of those things that the dead ball should be impacting in a significant way. That's more the outcomes of it. Right. Um, so if somebody like Joey Gallo was still got a really good hard contact rate, well, then maybe he can come around to figuring out how to land those balls where they need to go uh, with a dead ball. Uh, but if his hard contact rate is really suppressed, now I'm super concerned. I should, should say that Gallo is a weird case that is probably worth bringing up um, in that if you walk a lot, it lowers your number of batted ball events and right. uh, just pushes your hard contact rate down. Technically, if you want a how good is he approach, hard contact plus blocks carry in normal times roughly the same expected woba. Um, hard contact's a little bit worse on average than a walk, but close. But like, still, it's like those are the good plate appearances. The bad ones are strikeouts and weak contact. So Joey Gallo is slightly below average. He was slightly below average last year, but if you add up hard contact plus walks, walks for him, he's still sitting at like forty percent of his plate appearances, doing a good thing. Joey Gallo is good for real life teams right now. Uh, Yankees fans who are listening and are angry about him. I'm sorry. He's good, but <laughs> he doesn't hit the ball hard that often. If it's not leaving the park is kind of, has always been his deal. He doesn't hit a lot of sack flies. Maybe it took him like yeah, a couple yeah, of yeah. years. They had a sack. Well, fly he's also been different since he's been a Yankee. So even like yeah, looking at last weird. year's data, if, if you can't split it between his Texas, uh, performance and his Yankees performance, then, um, and we would have to kind of dig into that. I think that that we would can. be can. I would like to look at that. Revealing, actually. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, his is um, his is about the same. A guy who's down a lot, who's not in the bottom quartile, though, is Josh Donaldson. He's sitting below average after being like top 10 last year. Yeah. Um, so he's a guy that I, the early warning signs are there. 
that it's bad. But if we actually go down to the very bottom, uh, there are some really interestingly scary names down here that are worth uh, noting. Uh, Joey Votto is at 301st out of 306. He's sitting at 13%. I'm actively worried in considering jo- dropping Joey, Ga- Joey Votto in any sort of league. Uh, Luke Void is also down there in the bottom. Uh, yeah. 10 or so. The thing I would note for a lot of these guys at the bottom, and when I bring up Luke Void, is he was actively injured while playing. And right. win on the IL during his recovery played kind of poorly and struck out a lot in El Paso. I'm going to keep him benched while keeping roster. Just kind of see what happens for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's deserved that he's not playing. well. Akil Badu got demoted 14% yes, hard he contact. Um, he was playing poorly. Um, Dylan Carlson, 13% playing awful right now. Fully deserved. Like there's a lot of like, those are guys you may have invested in that are not playing that well. Uh, some guys who are also in the bottom who are playing medium okay that are worth keeping a note on Ozzy Albies sitting at 16.9 percent uh, has not hit the ball hard at all I was offered him in a trade in dynasty and I was like I think he's either injured or something's really off because this is so bad that I have to believe something's up um, yeah Jose Altuve is another guy who's in the bottom 16 percent remember uh, earlier in the year we were talking about uh, uh, Tristan about like bat speed um jose altuve being a guy whose bad speed looked bad another guy uh it was when he brought up um who was it also a guy in this list i gotta find him um trent grisham trent grisham's near the bottom as well in heart contact right right now mm. yeah they had some like bad bat speed issues and we were worried about that as a warning side going forward well here it is uh yeah so, like, there's a lot of names who are like exactly who expect aren't playing well down there but i should also note if you're looking at someone like chris bryant he's obviously hurt things aren't great sure so I think that where this is most helpful at the bottom are for people who are like noob debuts or young guys who you're still trying to get like a feel on their stock for who are they obviously haven't been hurt, but like something's up like, you know, like we said with Badu, like we said with Carlson, I should also note I'm selling any remaining shares of Jared Kelnick I have because like he's striking out a ton. He's not hitting the ball hard consistently when he doesn't strike out like it's it looks bad. Um yeah. There Adele, are some other guys though too, that like his strikeout rate was insane. Yeah. There's some other guys though who aren't having issues who just kind of look like they're old and not playing well. Like Robbie Grossman is not playing well. Uh, if you're in my league and I'm posting one trade block, whoops, I can't believe they just said that out loud. But yeah, Robbie Grossman <laughs> walking more, which is actually cutting yeah. into things, striking out more. And I think that's part of it, is he's just losing batted balls. Um that could change. But like also he hasn't been hitting the ball terribly hard. I mean he's still got a great lineup spot, but um so other guys who are just sitting in the bottom of things and you're wondering if it's deserved, Trevor Story and uh, Marcus Simeon are both past 250, so they're in the bottom 16 or so percent. Things have been bad for them. Uh, Brandon Belt's down there too. He has, I think, I can't remember if he's been hurt or not. But yeah, as you scroll through this list, really easy to pull it yourself. It gets reliable quickly. You find a lot of interesting names who have and haven't been like playing well. And it is just kind of just scroll up and scroll down both ways. Uh, Taylor Ward, by the way, I said Babbitt King. He's got 23% hard contact rate. Sell him. Sell him now. Mm. I mean, he's been walking a ton. <laughs> I guess that helps, but like, sell him now. It's it's not going to get better. Uh, he's Let not me ask good. I want to ask you this, though. It's It feels like things are very different this year. <laughs> How did all of these guys, <laughs> Gallo, Donaldson, Votto, uh, Voight, people who have hit the ball hard for a long time, like that's their thing, Story, Semyon, how do they all just suddenly stop being good? <laughs> I don't, I don't like it. It feels 
maybe it's just a little tinfoil hattie, and I don't mean this in like a conspiratorial way, like people are are being plotted against, but it seems like this is affecting more than a handful of players, and it's affecting players of a certain prototype more. And we have all of this stuff that's changing. Is is it is that just a coincidence? Are we just are we talking about uh like it's coincidental and it's not causal because it feels like there's got to be a connection in here somewhere that either uh, my, has not revealed itself yet. It's just pointing in a slightly different direction, but I do think that it's, there is probably a related factor, which is that all of, a lot of these guys are old and had a shortened spring training and an off season without team medical staff. And Marcus Simeon, actually, I want to point out is also on like all of the negotiating committees and was like not working out <laughs> probably or not working out as much hottest time yeah, filled distracted being yeah. in, in like an integral part of the players union and get players back on the field so there were some guys like that where like you know like luke Voigt was kind of hurt and probably needed like a team to be helping him like getting back to being his program and yeah right didn't have yeah, that I and mean, that makes sense i i don't i don't really need the explanation to be about baseballs or humidors i just would like to understand why because it, it just seems like uh, this is this list is way too long of people who right, shouldn't right. be bad who are putting up bad numbers. Like Vado had like a resurgence last year. Yeah, and suddenly yeah, he's, he's at the bottom of the league. It doesn't make sense to me that there's not some sort of causal factor that we just haven't yet fleshed out or identified. Or maybe it is just the perfect storm of a lot of little things that add up to be a big thing that affect, like you said, a certain sort of player i mean but akil badu's not old dylan carlson's yeah, not old i didn't think they were that good to begin with it's kind of like, oh, well okay they yeah. were both on a dynasty team i inherited and i haven't been able to sell either of them off so um uh howdy at appeal friends dynasty league that i'm in that uh has dylan carlson and akil badu they're for free they've been on the trade block as well <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just kind of reality is that some guys like the scouting grades are good on a few of their tools and then it just doesn't come all come together. We're learning a lot about scouting. I'll chat sometimes with people who like write for different, you know, prospects, these things. And like, it's all yeah. exact and we're doing the best because a lot of data there is limited and you sure. know, chat with people about like, Hey, if you've got a little bit of fun data, check out some of the stuff I do occasionally. It's, it's so simple that I can't take credit for it. It's kind of like a lot of how I feel about stuff. Like, like Hey, let's look at whiffs, but 10% differently. Like, I can't take credit for most of that. And I so think that's why I, I tell people, go do it yourself. Yeah, right. And that's true. Like if you, because then you're not you're not incorporating a decision that somebody else has made in terms of like how many pitches am I picking? What's my threshold? What all of those things. You can do it for yourself and really know where that's all coming from. This it just seems very mysterious to me. I'm going to give you a couple of names and I I want you to think about preseason, right? I told you that these are going to be people grouped on a hard contact list and some, some of them are going to be at the top and some of them are going to be at the bottom mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like their performance and their output. Jacques Peterson, Glaber Torres, Christian Yelich. I would right? believe okay. it for Christian Yelich. I would not have believed it for, uh, for Glaber Torres. And that's I mean, just, uh, but Yelich is, was bad with the good he, ball. He was really good at hard contact. Actually, it was a okay, well, this issue, but like, okay. but still his, he's been better this year than right. he's been. Yes, so I, and then and then the other list is is uh, um, Trent Grisham and Trevor Story and Marcus Simeon and Joey Gallo 
and Josh Donaldson. Like, I just, I don't know. It feels like the script is script is flipped and there's gotta be a reason. It just has to be. And, and I think, I think chaos is a really powerful force in a lot of ways. And we're just so routinely so wrong. And I think more than anything else, this is a nice reminder that like, if, for example, actually to bring this back to the very beginning of the podcast, things like stuff plus and location plus feeling your pitching rankings more so than, Hey, this guy was good. And I figure he'll figure it out. Um, have some merit to it if you're an athletic subscriber and you've seen um Eno's pitching rankings you'll see some someone like um lucas giolito who i believed in a lot and is sitting eighth in nick's rankings dropped down to like 35th or so within a couple weeks of the season because he lost a tick on his fastball his stuff and location numbers suffered and it looked like a house of cards because he was giving up some moon shots striking out more people than you'd suspect he would be given his stuff getting worse and kind of getting lucky with guys on base um, so I sold him off in a league, uh, just based exclusively on that, because I knew that that was data I had to trust. And my own belief system in this new chaotic world is got to be able to integrate some new information. He looked great at everything that uh, my number said. And I was willing to take a shot on someone else's point of view and data because it was just so overwhelming and that I, I had to insulate myself a little bit. Uh, so I tipped him off. And I yeah. think that you have to be willing to be flexible about your way of evaluating the world when things stop working as well as they don't really do. And how good you have been in the past matters less. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think this is this is really about where a lot of decisions that people can make in leagues with trades are going to be really, really decisive. You know, if you're in a league that gets gets won and lost early on because like some people just are bad at trading. Uh, like, yeah, things may already be weird, but if you're in a competitive league, this is your edge. Like, this is the time to start picking up some new habits, to start looking for some new ways to like question what you know. Because, like, for me, the ERA thing I'm working on, it's on pause. I just don't believe it's going to work as well as it had been, and I, I need some more yeah. time for the new ball to level out for it to help me out. And it's rough, but well, yeah, you need good data in, right? And if you've made an assumption that's not uh, in line with reality, then all of your results are going to be skewed. So, and that's not about process. That's just about information and availability. So, um, well, Alexander, uh, it was great having you back. That is going to bring us to the end of this episode. Uh, do you have any final thoughts that you want to throw out there about anything that we discussed today? Um, I, we made some mean remarks about Reed Detmers. I'm really happy for Reed Detmers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Two strikeouts and a no hitter is fluky. I'm happy for the kid. That is that is really cool. Uh, that he's it's, just yeah, really it's still quite career. an accomplishment. Doesn't take yeah. anything away from I mean, being somebody who can say I threw a no hitter at the major league level. That's uh, that's remarkable, remarkable accomplishment. Um, all right, well, Alexander, if you could just remind the people where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the Corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore Rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.